0: So the reading is taken from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, verses uh, starting from verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, Including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, Louise. Uh, Do keep that uh, passage open. Perhaps, uh, like me, you're a little bit relieved uh, to get to the end of this uh, challenging book um, this morning. Uh, A book that does, I think, confront us, doesn't it, with a number of hard uh, truths about living life in a frustrated and a a twisted world. Uh, This book book doesn't do spin, it's not economical with the truth, doesn't gloss over things that uh, uh, many in our world simply refuse, I think, to acknowledge and face up to. I've had uh, quite a few conversations uh, uh, through uh, these uh, past weeks, Uh, people find this book helpful it is realistic isn't it it is realistic a book that offers real uh, wisdom and big clues about how we live life wisely and well and this morning our our teacher gets to the conclusion of the matter Um, the summary if you like of this book so let's uh, humble ourselves before God and hear him speak to us again through his will let's pray This morning we are reminded, Lord, that uh, these words before us are the words of the shepherd. So please help us to recognise his voice so that we might walk in those good paths that he wants to lead us on. Paths that will lead to our flourishing and ultimately lead us to our heavenly home. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. meaningless meaningless everything is meaningless if you think back to the start of May you will remember that the teacher opens this book with those words and those words punctuate this book on many occasions and now it features in his conclusion but I hope you've seen that the teacher doesn't think that life is pointless now that word meaningless is better translated Breath, mist. You might have come across the, the play written by Samuel Beckett called Breath. It lasts just 35 seconds. So if you are one of those late arrivers, that is not a good play to go and watch. Uh, here's a spoiler. In fact, this is the whole play. It starts off in very dim lights. There's a cry and then an inhaling of breath, the lights brighten and you are confronted with a stage strewn with rubbish, there's the exhaling of breath, a cry and the lights dim. If you paid £25 for that I think you might be a bit short-changed. <laughs> But actually, there's something about that play that is reflected, I think, in this book. Life is short. uh, Life is fleeting. Much of this life seems at times chaotic and messy as we try and make sense of it from our perspective. But whereas a Beckett simply asks the questions and has no answers, I think our teacher has given us some answers, some clues about how to live life now when life is like breath and there is realism about the teacher's wisdom he hasn't ducked the hard realities he doesn't offer a magic bullet to fix everything uh, to straighten out what is confused and what is crooked but he has given us god's wisdom for living life when life is breath and what does that look like well i think we've seen a few answers i mean it means doesn't it uh not making life all about grasping chasing things that are breath but rather recognising the limits of the things our world claims are ultimate. Wealth, sex, entertainment, education. Uh, It means recognising the limits of our lives, our inability to control everything, but to trust a a God who is in control. It means, doesn't it, acting in uncertainty. It means accepting and enjoying God's good gifts, especially in the good times. When there are difficult times ahead, it means accepting our lot, our portion, that God gives us, and using his gifts to turn our attention back to the God who gives us those gifts. And then last week, we heard, didn't we, uh, two weeks ago, we heard the teacher in- encouraging us to remember our creator. See, wisdom begins, doesn't it, with our lives orientated around him and his reality, uh, wisdom is about living a God-centred uh, life that revolves around him, uh, not, not just giving him the occasional nod, but allowing him to shape us to the core. And we have to do it before it's too late, before that opportunity and desire is gone, before hearts become hard, perhaps so hard that we can't turn to him. Well, this morning, as we reach the climax of this book, I think the teacher is still unpacking for us what remembering looks like remembering our creator, what what it means to live with him wisely at the centre of life. And I think there are two key themes, particularly that struck me this week that we're going to explore. And here's the first. Uh, Living wisely now means learning to recognise and love the shepherd's voice. Learning to recognise and love the shepherd's voice. Look down at verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise... But he also imparted knowledge to his people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many uh, proverbs. Well, we've been listening, haven't we, to this teacher over the past few weeks. And now, as the book uh, draws to a close, we are given a description of the kind of teaching that we've had. A description, I think, that's meant to encourage us uh, to make good use of what we've heard. And to make us long for more of this kind of wisdom going forwards. And so have are assured me that this teacher is wise. Notice, not just someone who has lots of wisdom and knowledge, but someone who has been uh, taking the trouble uh, to arrange and communicate that wisdom well, so we can understand it and apply it. Which is the best teachers that we can remember, perhaps going back to our school days, if you can think that far back, uh, weren't just teachers who knew a lot in their heads but there were those who thought hard about how they taught and how they communicated what they were able to teach us. And this teacher is uh, one who is committed, isn't he, to uh, teaching us by setting things up clearly, thinking about their order, how things are arranged so we might benefit from his wisdom. But notice, not only is this material well-ordered and arranged, we are assured, don't we, in verse 10, that it is trustworthy and true. Teacher searched to find out just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. I hope after the week we've just had, I haven't got to convince you of the importance of having people speaking words of truth, words that are upright and trustworthy. And that expression, right words, could be translated beautiful words, delightful words. Uh, words that express truth, but in a way that resonates with us and lodges in our minds and hearts. I was thinking about last week, that last time we looked at Ecclesiastes, that, that description of getting older. That lodged in my mind quite a lot. Seven verses describing ageing. I mean, the teacher could have said you get old and die. But he kind of slows us down and he lingers over that experience. Captures our imagination. So it sticks, it lodges, it's truthful and well told. This is a prayer that might sound a bit selfish, but it will benefit you too. But as folks uh, preach here and teach here on a Sunday, for example, or, or with our kids, let's pray not only will they speak truth, but they'll do it engagingly, well. Uh, even beautifully, in that, and it resonates with the truth of our lives and, and God's truth. Winsome, gauging, perhaps imaginative and creative even, so God's word gets under our skin. Just recently, uh, a while back, I've been reading a book called A Better Story. It's a book on, on sex and marriage, outlining God's good design for those great gifts and part of the value of this book is that it speaks God's truth about these important issues. But it's not just a list of verses or Bible references. Uh, it presents those truths in thoughtful ways, attractive ways. Uh, as the title suggests, it speaks those truths into a bigger narrative of God's desire for our flourishing. God's good purposes for his people. And I know that as we teach on these subjects, and particularly when we find ourselves out of step with the world around us, it's good, isn't it, to hear truth that is attractive, that is right, beautiful even, in in a world where that truth can seem increasingly implausible to many. God's wisdom, attractively and well taught. But notice too that if these words are upright, they are uncomfortable words, aren't they? Indeed, many times they will feel like goads, like cattle prods, poking us into action or turning us onto right paths when we find ourselves on wrong paths. And the teacher here, I think, is warning us of the dangers of teaching that simply uh, confirms our own thinking. That's easy on the ear, that comforts but never confronts. But good teaching, uh, God's wisdom will, will challenge, won't it, when we're wrong about things. Perhaps in our thinking, maybe in our living. I think that's a huge challenge in our own time, isn't it? Especially when our culture urges us to affirm everything, to celebrate and not to judge or challenge. I mentioned it before, but we're, as a Church of England, as a denomination, thinking about, again, sexuality, particularly at the moment. Uh, Through this process called living in love and faith. And there are enormous pressures to avoid the uncomfortable. To make living in love the grounds for, for not challenging or not rebuking or confronting. But the words of the wise will do that. And those are the voices we've got to hear and seek and be shaped by. But these words are not only goads; they are also uh, the teachers. Are uh, embedded nails? Well, we embed nails. Don't mean wood to hold things together, to give firmness and stability, to provide structure that holds together even under pressure. Well, that's the sort of teaching that we've been hearing over these past weeks. That confronts. That is attractive. That is trustworthy. And we discover it comes from. The one shepherd, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goats. They, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. A shepherd who's committed to and cares for his sheep, who, who feeds them on a diet that is good for them, that nurtures and nourishes and strengthens and protects, because this shepherd has our interests at heart. And this book, Ecclesiastes, in fact, the whole Bible, of course, Is God's wisdom, words from our shepherd. And they are words, aren't they? That are challenging, that are uncomfortable at times, but they build stability. They provide that foundation for living wisely and well in God's word. Well, when that shepherd appeared in person, in the person of Jesus, do you remember his words? John chapter 10. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus speaking about himself. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. All those who came before me, says Jesus, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life. And life to the full. So here's the challenge I think this morning. A first challenge do we have ears for the shepherds? Are we learning to hear and recognize his voice above all the other voices that claim to have wisdom and cry out for our attention? See, at the end of this book, we are confronted, aren't we, with many voices? Many books have been written, says the teacher. That was true in the teachers' day, wasn't it? Just think about the, the, the websites, the blogs, the podcasts that are out there today. There are so many voices, aren't there? Do we have ears to hear the, the, the voice of the shepherd above all that din that clamours for our attention? And we're particularly warned about adding to what God says in his words. Now, the teacher isn't saying we shouldn't read any other books, just this one book, the Bible. But is saying, be careful about what we listen. Listen wisely and discerningly. Again, I'm, I'm afraid for that living in love and faith process, especially when people say, well, God's word is not clear. And we need to listen to other voices to make it clear, make life clear. We need to have ears for the voice of the shepherd and to love that voice more than any other voice. But secondly... We also need to rightly fear the Lord. Look down now how our passage concludes in verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Here's the conclusion of the whole book. The verdict, the summary that we've been ploughing towards over these past weeks. And I wonder if it's the kind of summary you thought would appear or the kind of way we would summarise this book if we were to do it. Fear God and keep his commandments. Actually, those two things are very tightly connected, aren't they? One speaks about uh, attitude and, and the other speaks about the actions that flow inevitably from that attitude. Learn to fear the Lord and therefore obey his commands. I use that word rightly fear because we can fear God wrongly, can't we? As Christians, we can have that kind of cowering fear uh, that fails to grasp his mercy and his grace, uh, a fear that keeps us away from God rather than draws us to him. And so we need to understand what that that right fear looks like, because according to the Bible, that is the, the start of all Wisdom. And I think that true fear comes as we encounter God as He really is. As we discover something of His greatness, His majesty, as we start to see something of His power, uh, the vastness of His knowledge and wisdom, when we start to realise that He is eternal without beginning or end. And when we discover his holiness, his blazing uprightness and purity. And this book, I think, has been revealing that kind of God to us. Remember your creator, says the teacher. And remember him as you are faced up to and acknowledge your own creatureliness. Remember his, his permanence when we are like mist, when our lives are so brief. Remember his strength when, by comparison, we are pretty feeble, as we saw last time, like a building that's barely standing. Remember his knowledge and understanding when we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, his holiness when we are so crooked. And as we start to glimpse God, uh, his his bigness, his glory, or another way of putting it, his weightiness, not least against the backdrop of our smallness and feebleness, uh, we rightly tremble, don't we? We rightly stand in awe of such a God. We begin to rightly fear him. I did some hunting around this week, looking at this idea of fearing the Lord. And I found lots of great verses, great things to do. And this is a verse that came to, uh, to me um, This week, that struck me particularly. It comes from Isaiah. I wonder what you make of it. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Here's a a description of a person who is spirit filled. Someone is truly wise and understanding. And ultimately, of course, we discover it's a description that finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus. But did you notice true spirituality, true wisdom, is characterised by the right fear of God? And that right fear brings what? Delight. Joy. Fear of God, delight and joy. Perhaps we wouldn't have put those two things uh, together. But the reality is, when we grasp our limitations, our own weakness, our crookedness, our life as breath, living in a world that's like breath, we can only find substance, meaning or hope in a God like this God. Indeed, as we encounter him, as we get to know him and centre our lives around him, we experience not just fleeting existence, but life, life in all its fullness. Life now, yes, with its frustrations, but one day life eternally with God. And if we don't have that kind of God, if we don't rightly let the fear of God dominate all the other fears that we fear about that have been mentioned in this book, the the fear of failure and loss, the fear of ageing and weakness, the fear of uncertainty, and all that we don't know, the fear of death. If we don't have this kind of God that we truly fear, in this right way, life is going to be very difficult, isn't it? It's going to be a, uh, an impossible struggle. See, fearing God, having a big view of our God, doesn't take away those realities that are often things we are f- afraid of. But it does transform them. Just this week, I was speaking uh, to uh, Pippa. And uh, she and her mum are facing huge uh, challenges as they walked through a very difficult path, one marked by a physical weakness, struggles of an ageing body, uh, the unknowns that come with major surgery, the frustrations of human systems that don't always work. For them this week, uh, the experience of walking through the, a dark valley has been their experience. I talked to Pippa this week and as we talked, tears flowed. But we encourage one another in the certainty that we have a big God, a God who does see the end uh, from the beginning, a God who is truly wise and good. And in our limited understanding, often our under the sun perspective is that, isn't it? It was good to cling (laughs) to that God and to be able to trust a big God. Peter was happy for me to share one of the texts that she sent me after our conversation. She said, this is a season in which I know mum and I are being blessed and taught. And we are keeping our eyes looking up with hope. I finish, how, do, how do we grow in that right fear of God that anchors our lives, that gives its substance when we are like breath? How can we grow that fear that will uh, wean us off trusting our own wisdom and understanding, but rather trusting him to lead us in obedience along his good paths? The answer is, isn't it, we do need to encounter God each day, don't we? We need to meet him in his word and to meet him particularly I think as we encounter uh, him in the person of Jesus just this week I was reading through uh, Mark's gospel and that famous account of Jesus stilling a storm Uh, seeing the the fear of the disciples uh, in the light of that storm only for that fear to be eclipsed by a greater fear and awe of the one who quietened that storm with just a word And that fear led them not to flee from Jesus, but to put their faith in him. As I reached the end of that same gospel, I encountered uh, the same Jesus, stills a storm of the word, now strung up on a cross, uh, choosing to save others, sinners like me, uh, over saving himself. And finding myself in awe and gratitude of this God. Rightly, I think, afraid of living for myself, and my own little agendas, rather than living wholeheartedly for for Jesus, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Seeing and savouring Christ, that's where true wisdom begins. That's the starting point of wisdom and the wise life. As we encounter him and indeed as we find him, uh, Paul says we find in him the treasures of wisdom. And knowledge. Well, this uh, book of Ecclesiastes, as it describes life under the sun, life in this world, ends actually by pointing us, doesn't it, to that future beyond this world, when we will meet that same Jesus as he brings uh, our lives under his scrutiny and uh, judgment. It will be a a tragic day, won't it, for those who've ignored him. Those who've lived as if they have no need of him or need of his mercy. But for those who've trusted him, those who've learned to hear his voice, follow him, that will actually be a day of incredible joy and rejoicing. A day when the crooked is finally made straight. When frustration disappears, it's finished where even death is swallowed up in victory. And a day when we'll discover that every act and decision and word and thought we have expressed in this uh, world is far from meaningless, but hugely significant. And the wise life will be a life lived in the light of that day, says our teacher. So as we come to the end of this book, let me just finish by quoting some words from the Apostle Paul who urges us to, to live with that day in view. He writes, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before his judgment seat, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good good. Or bad. Well, let's use our lives, let's use this week to please Jesus, to fear dishonouring him. Living with that desire to hear him and then to hear him say on that day, well done, good, faithful servant. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Father, if we struggled with this book in places, thank you for the clarity of that call to come to that place where we discern and we love your voice above all other voices. And where we learn to rightly fear you, to live with God as a big God, to recognise our smallness and feebleness and to trust you. Please help us even this week to live lives of wisdom with those truths firmly embedded in our lives that strengthen us. And with that end goal at sight, that day when we will see him, the one who is true wisdom and see him face to face. Please help us to live in the light of that day, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.